Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, and this is the podcast where we take a really in-depth look at the Gospel reading from today's Catholic Mass. And today is a really interesting reading. So we're looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 39 to 48. And there's a lot to say here, so let's have a read of it, and then we'll unpack it verse by verse. Jesus said to his disciples, You may be quite sure of this, that if the householder had known at what hour the burglar would come, he would not have let anyone break through the wall of his house. You too must stand ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, do you mean this parable for us, or for everyone? The Lord replied, What sort of steward, then, is faithful and wise enough for the master to place him over his household, to give him their allowance of food at the proper time. Happy that servant if his master's arrival finds him at this employment. I tell you truly, he will place him over everything he owns. But as for the servant who says to himself, my master is taking his time, coming, and sets about beating the men servants and the maids, and eating and drinking and getting drunk, his master will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not know. The master will cut him off and send him to the same fate as the unfaithful. The servant who knows what his master wants, but has not even started to carry out those wishes, will receive very many strokes of the lash. The one who did not know, but deserves to be beaten for what he has done, will receive fewer strokes. When a man has had a great deal given him, a great deal will be demanded of him. When a man has a great deal given him on trust, even more will be expected of him. So a really interesting reading. There's a lot here that we could unpack. Let's start by thinking about the context. So Jesus is moving from Galilee, that's his sort of home, to Jerusalem. And he's about to begin the final phase of his ministry. He's doing ministry along the road. And he's just told the disciples that he himself, Jesus will reward those disciples who are faithfully doing what he wants them to do when he returns. So he's already said all that, and now he's going to intensify it further. The first thing we should look at here is the word coming, because this passage refers to the coming of Jesus. Now, the Greek word there is parousia, and there's a bit that could be said about this. It literally means presence, but it can also mean appearing or visitation. It's used 20 times in the New Testament, And sometimes in Greek literature, it was used to describe the visitation of a king or high official to a city he had previously conquered. So in this sense, it presumes a period of absence before the king's return. Interesting, isn't it? So it's this idea, Jesus, when he says, I'm coming, it's this idea that he's going away for a while, then returning to his kingdom as the king to check on it. The Bible uses it in a similar way for the arrival of important people, and most important, it denotes the coming of Jesus Christ, who brings judgment upon his enemies and rescues his faithful disciples. So the word parousia can either refer to Christ's visitation upon Jerusalem of destruction in 70 AD, or his second advent, his second coming at the end of time, when he will be judge of the living and the dead. So it seems that in this case, Jesus is thinking primarily of the second coming. So that is in our future. However, the word is used differently in different places. 
This particular passage we're going to look at, Luke 12, it's very interesting to look at from a scholarly perspective in terms of comparing the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew places this same incident in the last week of Jesus' life. Now, here in Luke's version, it's not in the last week of Jesus' life. It's while he's on the road to Jerusalem, while Matthew says it happens in Jerusalem. Now, most Catholic scholars would say the reason for that is that Matthew is not trying to be chronological. Matthew is more thematic, whereas Luke, that we're looking at, Luke's version is chronologically accurate. So, what we're about to hear here in Luke's version probably did happen on the road to Jerusalem. But you could also say that Jesus spoke these words on more than one occasion. Maybe he spoke it on the road once to his disciples and then later in Jerusalem a second time. That is certainly possible. By this point, many people who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they probably expected the coming of the kingdom of God and the final judgment all to happen very soon. That was part of the Jewish belief. When the Messiah comes, he will bring in the kingdom straight away. If we can keep that in mind, that will help set context for what Jesus is about to say. Because what he's going to say here is that really there's no way to know when the master is returning to do the final judgment. Jesus is going to say that rather the, f- the focus should be on being prepared all the time because we don't know when the master will come. And in fact, the master could take a long time. Indeed, Jesus hasn't even returned yet at the time we record this podcast. Verse 39, Jesus said to his disciples, notice the audience here. He says, know this, or you may be quite sure of this. Now, that's in contrast to what they're not sure about, which is they don't know the day the Lord is coming. They don't know the day or the hour. But here Jesus says, know this, you may be quite sure of this, that if the householder had known at what hour the burglar would come. Now, we've got a bit of a mini parable here. So Jesus is saying that in that culture, if you knew what hour you were going to be robbed in the night, and in fact, some manuscripts at this point add, he would have been awake. So if the householder had known at what hour the burglar would come, he would have been awake and he would not have let anyone break through the wall of his house. And in that culture, burglars would quietly break a hole in the wall in order to get in. While everyone was sleeping, they would break a hole in the wall, steal things, and then go out that same hole. And obviously, you would want to prevent that from happening. If you knew what time the burglar was coming, you would be awake and not let him do that. Verse 40, Jesus says, You too must stand ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Notice here Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, and previously he's been talking about the Master, but now it transitions to the Son of Man, and that's himself. Jesus is both the Master and the Lord, is what he's called in this passage as well, and he's also the Son of Man. He's all of those things. So Jesus is giving an analogy here to make his point clearer. He says, If you knew when in the night a burglar would be coming, you would be ready for him. In the same way, Christian disciples can't slack off because the reality is that the Son of Man could come at any time, therefore they need to be ready at any time. The disciples cannot fall asleep. They need to be ready all the time. When the king returns to his kingdom, that will be Jesus, he's going to judge his servants. So they need to be ready for his return at any time, just as we do today. We need to be ready for Jesus' return at any time. Now, some people find it a bit disturbing here that Jesus would compare himself to a burglar, even though Paul does use a similar expression in 1 Thessalonians 5.2. He says the same thing, that Jesus is kind of like a thief in the night. We shouldn't be too disturbed by this. We need to be careful when dealing with analogies. Jesus is not saying that he and the burglar are the same in every respect. He's not saying that. He's just saying they're the same in one respect, which is 
he and a burglar both come at a time that they're not expected. That's the point he's making. So Jesus gives that mini parable, and now Peter says something really interesting. And this is actually only mentioned in Luke's gospel. It's a really interesting line. So Peter speaks up here on behalf of all the apostles, probably. He says, Lord, do you mean this parable for us or for everyone? It's a fascinating question, and it's going to have an even more fascinating answer. So Jesus has just told this mini parable about the burglar breaking into the house. And Peter is wondering, do you mean this parable for us or for everyone? Now, firstly, the question he asks, we can learn several things from the fact that he asks the question. Firstly, Jesus gives some teachings that are only for his disciples, not for the crowds in general. Peter recognizes that, and that's why he asks the question. He's wondering, Jesus, is this one of these teachings that only makes sense to us, or is it for the whole crowd? Often that's what his parables are like. So the disciples recognize that Jesus gives them different instructions compared to the crowds. And also we learn from this that parables generally are given to the crowds, as they are early in Jesus' ministry in Galilee. He speaks parables to the crowds. Typically, Jesus doesn't speak parables to the disciples. He just speaks very plainly to them. Maybe that's why Peter's confused here, because Jesus has just given a parable that sounds like it's only for Christian believers, and yet Jesus doesn't typically use parables when he's speaking plainly to Christians. Maybe Peter's thinking here, when he thinks about the parable, maybe Peter is thinking, Surely we, the apostles, are your faithful servants, and you won't judge us when you return. You're going to un- you're going to judge the unbelievers, right? Maybe that's his thinking. He's a bit worried. By the sounds of Jesus' mini parable here, it sounds like Christians are going to be judged when they're when Jesus returns, and maybe Peter's a bit worried about that. As we'll see, Jesus is going to respond to Peter's question by giving another parable, and this parable is the parable of the unfaithful slave. Jesus' answer to Peter's question is going to be answered in the parable, and it's going to be something like this. Judgment day is coming for everyone, but people will be judged individually based on what they knew. And obviously, this is a very Catholic principle as well. So Peter's question was, do you mean this parable for us or for everyone? And Jesus' basic answer is both, but people are going to be judged individually based on what they knew. So Jesus starts the parable of the unfaithful slave, verse 42. What sort of steward then is faithful and wise enough for the master to place him over his household to give them their allowance of food at the proper time? What's Jesus talking about here? He's setting up the parable, and in that culture, royal courts, as well as some rich people, they would have many personal servants. Often the master would go away and they would appoint a head servant or a manager to be in charge of the other servants, And that manager was entrusted with doing things like feeding the other servants and looking after them. Joseph in the Old Testament is a good example of a head servant. He became the, specifically he's called the head servant in Genesis 39. And he had the job of distributing the food allowance to the other servants at the proper time. What's Jesus mean at this point in the parable? Who does the head servant represent and who are the servants? The manager the head servant is probably supposed to represent the apostles in particular. Jesus clearly has given them charge over the other Christians in the church. So he's given them charge over the household of God. And he knows that they are going to distribute the word and the sacraments. So they're literally going to be the managers of the kingdom. They have leadership positions over restored Israel. And Jesus here is saying that because they're faithful, they're going to be the leaders of the church. And he's expecting that they exercise 
their leadership faithfully on his behalf. He's the master who's going to go away for a while back to heaven, and he's left managers in charge of his church, that will be the apostles. Verse 43, happy that servant if his master's arrival finds him at this employment. Now, the word there for happy can be translated blessed or fortunate. So the teaching here is that if the master returns and finds the manager doing what the master asked him to do, the master will be pleased. And that makes sense. Verse 44, I tell you truly, he will place him over everything he owns. So the master would often leave part of his inheritance for his most faithful servants. That's actually what they would do in that culture. So similarly, Jesus is saying that Jesus appointed leaders, the apostles, if they do their job well, and if he finds them doing their job well when he returns, they are going to receive great rewards in the kingdom. And obviously, this is something Jesus teaches various places in the Gospels. Notice what Jesus is saying here about what counts as doing the work that he, he the master, expects. Preparedness for the master's return, it doesn't involve sitting at the window peering for the first glimpse of the master or looking at the signs of the times. That's not really the preparedness that Jesus has in mind. Here, being prepared for the master's return is doing the works that he wants them to do, doing the things that he's, set, he's given them to do. Verse 45, Jesus is now going to flip it around. But as for the servant who says to himself, my master is taking his time coming, or you can translate that, my master is delayed in coming. Now, already there we have this hint that Jesus is going to be away for a while because in the parable, the, uh, the servant thinks the master has already been away for a little while. So the servant says to himself, my master is delaying and he sets about beating the men's servants and the maid and eating and drinking and getting drunk. So this manager is an example of someone who's slacking off. He's not doing the works that his master expects. In fact, he's beating the other servants and he's getting drunk. So it seems that he's decided he doesn't really want to do the job the master has appointed him to do. He could be taking advantage of the position, maybe. the uh, You could say the benefits without the responsibilities. Maybe he's doing that. Or maybe he's at the point where he's sick of it. Maybe it's hard, tiresome work doing the work that he's appointed him to do. And so he figures that given the master has been away for a while, the master can't be coming back anytime soon. So he takes the opportunity to do whatever he wants which of course is going to be his downfall. This would be a sober warning to the apostles for two specific reasons. Firstly, this would serve as a warning because it's telling them they need to resist the temptation to lord it over other Christians out of pride. And also it's a warning for them not to fall back into sin. So really, Jesus is telling his apostles, he's giving them a pretty strict warning, don't abuse your freedom as Christian leaders while the master is away. You must do the task that he's assigned for you. Verse 46, his master will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not know. Now, often in that culture, masters would return without warning to check on their property. Well, there was no telephones or internet in that culture, so you wouldn't actually know when the master's coming. He would just show up one day. Here, Jesus again affirms that he, the master, will return one day. That's affirmed all the way through here. But again, the teaching is that his followers even the apostles, will not know the specific date or hour. In fact, the teaching here is that some disciples will be completely caught off guard when he returns. We don't want to be in that category. We want to be uh, um, prepared for his return. Jesus says that when the master returns and comes at an hour he does not know, 
the master will cut him off. Now, our translation has softened that a bit. The lectionary says cut him off, but literally in Greek, it says the master will cut him in pieces. It's fairly graphic. So it must be that in that culture, some masters would literally uh, kill their managers, particularly ones that were abusing their uh, servants in this way. So perhaps there's a reference here to literal death. Um, and that kind of makes sense here because this particular manager is clearly neglecting his role very seriously. So it's a parallel to mortal sin, basically. It's someone who's very seriously going against God's will. And so Jesus says here that he, the master, will cut him in pieces because he's seriously neglected the role that Jesus has given them. Now, we might be tempted to think that that might be stretching the parable a bit too far, that maybe Jesus isn't particularly identifying with that aspect of the parable. He's not saying that Jesus himself is going to treat people in this harsh way. Maybe it's just part of the parable where it's, uh, you know, the masters in that culture in general would do uh, quite severe things to their unfaithful managers. So we could interpret this to mean that Jesus isn't going to literally cut anyone in pieces. It's just a way of saying we need to take the responsibility seriously because uh, Jesus, our master, wants us to do the right thing and he won't be happy if we don't do the right thing. That would make sense. But the next verse does make it seem like Jesus is being quite literal, that he will literally punish people who don't do what he expects them to do in his kingdom. Here's what he says in uh, the next phrase. He will send him to the same fate as the unfaithful. Now, Matthew's version, rather than unfaithful, says hypocrites. So here we have a clear teaching that those who believe in Jesus and who are faithful for a while, particularly to their task of shepherding God's people, so particularly thinking of the apostles here, those who do a good job at that at the start, but who later get tired of it and they stop doing God's will, they will experience the same eternal fate as those who are unfaithful, those who are hypocrites. Who does this primarily refer to? Who is Jesus thinking of? as hypocrites or those who are supposed to be doing the right thing and they don't do the right thing according to God. There's two main views of this. It could be that Jesus is thinking of the Jewish leadership at the time. They were supposed to shepherd God's people, but what did they do? They literally killed the prophets, they beat the apostles, and then God sends judgment on them by destroying Jerusalem. So in that case, it literally is fulfilled. Jesus is the master who comes back and destroys uh, the Jewish leadership because they're not doing a good job. And that would fit Matthew's version of how he tells this parable and the context of the other parables surrounding this in Matthew's version. So it could be referring to the Jewish leadership. We could also say that here, when Jesus talks about uh, punishing those who are unfaithful and cutting them in pieces, maybe it's a sober warning to Jesus' own apostles and the other leading disciples. Basically, he's telling them they must not abuse the flock. Now, that would fit well with the context of what he has literally just said about the burglar and the householder, because the burglar and the householder was about those who know the master is returning. Uh, And so perhaps he's thinking of Christians, Christians who know the master is coming back, but they're negligent. Maybe it refers to both. Maybe it refers to anyone who's given a leadership position in God's kingdom in some form and they abuse their position. Now, again, we might be tempted to think that it's not referring to hell. It's not referring to eternal punishment, but, but perhaps just this general idea that Jesus won't be happy with people. But Matthew's version of this, we can't get out of it because Matthew's version says that when the master finds the servant being unfaithful, he will return. Uh, he will send him to the same fate as the unfaithful. And then Matthew's version says there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. 
So it has to be a reference to hell. That's typically a reference to hell. Now, so far, Jesus has given this parable to his disciples. And basically, the main point is that there's two different kinds of servants for the kingdom. And on judgment day, the good servants will be sorted from the bad servants. And we have it here a very sobering warning. Christians need to always be ready for the return of their master, Jesus. Jesus is going to return one day on judgment day in a sudden and unexpected way. And when he does, a Christian does not want to be caught doing the opposite of what Jesus wants. Otherwise, they're in danger of being cast into hell. That's clearly the teaching here. And at a minimum, it applies to the Christian apostles, certainly. And perhaps it applies to all Christians in general. Certainly those who are given responsibility over his flock. They cannot be negligent with that. So one could say that what's the basic lesson here for us? Never do anything that you will be ashamed of if Jesus caught you in the act of doing it at his second coming. As Christians, we should never do that. Jesus has more to say here, though. It gets more interesting. Verse 47, the servant who knows what his master wants. What it literally says there is the servant who knows his master's will. So who's he thinking of? He's thinking of Jesus' disciples, those who know what God's ex- God's expectations are for the kingdom, but has not even started to carry out those wishes. And again, a better translation there would be, but they did not make ready or act according to his will. Who would this refer to? This would refer to Jesus' disciples who know what they're supposed to do, but they continually sin and they turn away from God after they followed him for a little while. So it's like they followed him around during his ministry, maybe, at least for a little while, but they don't actually follow his teachings after he's gone. Jesus expected them to follow his teachings, but they didn't. And this matches pretty well with what Jesus says in Matthew about not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will who don't do the will of my father who sent me he says jesus he says that of these people those who know what the master wants but do not make ready or act according to his will will receive many strokes of the lash and more literally there it says shall receive a severe beating now this group is probably parallel to the unfaithful manager it's probably talking about the same group of people and we know the unfaithful manager ends up in hell And so perhaps the meaning here is shall receive a severe beating means to go to hell. Since the apostles were in a position of responsibility to look after God's people, and perhaps some of them have been selfish about it and they've abused their position, the teaching here is that those people will receive a harsh condemnation on judgment day. And it could be referring to hell. Certainly the context suggests that. Some people think it's referring to purgatory. It's referring to Christians who should have done the right thing, they stayed in good relationship with God, uh, but they didn't do, really, they didn't live the life that they were supposed to live as a Christian. That is certainly possible. And there are some scholars who think that that's what Jesus is talking about. When he says they'll receive a severe beating, it means they'll spend a lot of time in purgatory. So you will encounter that view. I personally don't think that that's the case. I think it's referring to hell because there's no indication here that they're in God's friendship still. It seems like they've fallen out of God's friendship. But certainly the teaching here that we want to take away from this as Catholics is that those who know what God wants, but they don't do it, they're going to be punished in proportion to culpability. They are more culpable because they knew the master's will, but they didn't do it. So they're going to receive a harsher punishment. That's the teaching here. Now, verse 48, Jesus says, the one who did not know. Now, who's this going to refer to? It's those who refer to the crowds in general, those who don't really understand God's will. They're not really privy to the mysteries of the kingdom. They just, they don't fully understand. 
So Jesus here is talking about a group of people who did not know, but they deserve to be beaten for what they have done, or more literally, what they did deserved a beating. So they're doing sinful actions, basically. Jesus says that for these people, those who do sinful things, but they don't realize that they're sinful things, they will receive fewer strokes, or they shall receive a light beating. So this group of people receives a less harsh punishment on Judgment Day. Jesus goes on, when a man has a great has had a great deal given him, a great deal will be demanded of him. And you can translate that as everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. This is one of Jesus' favorite phrases, and he uses it in different contexts. Here, it means that those who are given leadership responsibilities in God's people or God's church, and they abuse it, they will receive a harsher judgment than those who didn't really know what God's will was, but they sinned anyway. A lot of Christians miss this. They don't like to talk about this verse because they assume that all sin is sin and every sin is equally bad. God's going to judge everyone the exact same if they commit the same sin. Here, Jesus says that that's not the case. An element involved in God's judgment is how much did the person know? Were they culpable uh, for their sin? And this is something that plays out even in human law courts, doesn't it? People get less punishment if they were considered to not have knowledge that they were doing the wrong thing. God seems to work in the same way, according to Jesus. And then Jesus adds an additional phrase here. When a man has had a great deal given him on trust, even more will be expected of him. So the idea here seems to be intensified in this last phrase. It's along the lines of this. Those who have been entrusted with a specific responsibility will receive an even greater punishment. So the warning here is to Jesus' disciples. He's answering Peter's question about, does this apply to us or to the crowds? Jesus' answer in this last phrase is, it applies doubly so to you because you've been given, uh, entrusted with a specific authority. So you'll be more culpable than the others. So Jesus has now answered Peter's question of who is this parable for? The basic answer to Peter's question is, it's for everyone, but not everyone will be judged by the same measure. This verse teaches us that some will receive more punishment than others on Judgment Day, even if they committed the same actions, because one of the things God will factor in is how much they knew. So people will be punished on Judgment Day according to their culpability. And obviously this links in quite well with Catholic teaching about salvation. Catholics believe that it's possible to go to heaven and to be saved if you weren't a Christian or you weren't a Catholic and you didn't know that you should be. And obviously the teaching is a bit more nuanced than that, but This is one of the texts which informs that understanding. God holds people accountable for what they knew, not what they didn't know. So that's the end of the exegesis. Let's now quickly turn to the catechism. Given the importance of this text and given that it only appears in Luke, you would expect it to receive quite a bit of commentary in the catechism. But interestingly, it's only got one reference. Paragraph 2849. This is in the section about lead us not into temptation. The Holy Spirit constantly seeks to awaken us to keep watch. Finally, this petition takes on all its dramatic meaning in relation to the last temptation of our earthly battle. It asks for final perseverance. Lo, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is he who is awake. And this is the same paragraph we heard in yesterday's episode as well. Now, there's a couple more paragraphs in Matthew's version. In Matthew chapter 23 and in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says very similar things, and the Catechism discusses those words of Jesus, particularly in the context of uh, the Last Judgment. So that's the end of today's episode. I think it's a fascinating part of Luke, and it should get more attention. 
um, because it really tells us the principle of culpability and it only appears in Luke. So um, it's one that's worth meditating on and thinking about a bit more. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have learned something new, and I'm sure many of you have, then please share it with others. We want more and more Catholics to understand the Bible better and to deepen their relationship with God and progress further in the kingdom. All of those things uh, this podcast helps people achieve by really diving into the Bible and getting to know it a bit better. Thanks, and we'll continue in Luke in the coming days.